Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast. This is episode number 38 with Jordan Weiner. We talk about a whole bunch of cool stuff. Uh, she works at MIT, which is a uh, just sort of naturally geeky uh, institution, which is a uh, Really uh, neat to explore a little bit more with her. Also, her love of uh, board games, Harry Potter, and uh, uh, even her dabbling in fan fiction, which is uh, really, uh, really cool too. So, yeah, really appreciate Jordan's time and uh, all the cool stuff that she shared from her story and what she's into. Uh, find everything that we talked about in the show notes as usual. Uh, but after this quick message from our sponsor, this is episode number 38 with Jordan Weiner. This episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast is brought to you by Top Hat, the teaching app that makes active learning come to life. Top Hat helps thousands of professors create their perfect course. Our app is easy to use and allows you to engage your class, adopt next-generation textbooks, and run tests, all within a secure digital environment. See why faculty in over 700 colleges and universities across North America trust Top Hat to power their classrooms. Visit tophat.com slash geek. That's tophat.com slash geek. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited. I've never been on a podcast before. <laughs> I've listened to many podcasts. So. There you go. Yeah, I'm uh, always happy. I've uh, been a few people's like first experience doing this, so it's uh, always happy to kind of give that because, yeah, I mean, I, I got into it just being kind of a, a fan of the medium. So, um, yeah, it's just cool. Uh, continuing to do it and just... Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's a treat. Like now, having been interviewed on some other podcasts as well, it's, it's definitely different being on the other side. I've gotten very used to being <laughs> on this side. So, mm. uh, yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm excited. You know, I was trying to do like a call out recently, just to uh, yeah, just get good folks that are kind of uh, kind of willing and able to uh, to chat about stuff, just other kind of geeky professionals. So, um, I think you uh, yeah, definitely fit the bill. So I'm uh, <laughs> I'm excited to. Uh, explore a little bit more about your background and sort of uh i guess i assume one of the things that you geek out about is harry potter um yes <laughs> and, uh, yeah so we'll talk about uh all that good stuff um but yeah we'll kick things off just as we always do if you just want to give a brief introduction of who you are and how you got to be where you are today sure i'm jordan um i work in residence life at mit right now i've been at mit for about two years um and before that i was doing res life at suffolk university which is also in the Boston area. And then before that, I was in grad school at Michigan State. Kind of been all over originally from the Midwest. And then I came out to Boston for the first time when I got my job at Suffolk. And, and now I've been here for a couple of years. Um, I originally went to school thinking I was going to be a writer. That's been my lifelong ambition since I was a child was to um, write a book. Uh, so I studied English and writing. And then I also became a resident advisor and found out that student affairs was a path and that sounded a lot more concrete and promising than my ambiguous writer goals. Um, so I decided to pursue that for student affairs, um, thinking I could always write on the side. So that's a, a goal I am still trying to get back to. Um, working in residence life is quite busy <laughs> and time consuming, but, um, but I enjoy the work I do and I especially enjoy being at MIT. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, well, and I share, um, that, that's always my answer of like, oh, what did you always think you wanted to be when you grew up when you were a kid kind of thing? And it's like an author. And I don't know why, but yeah, it's like I, I blog and I do that. So I think that's like, 
perhaps alternate universe Dustin is an author um, and perhaps alternate universe Jordan is as well. But yeah, it's just like being able to like get ideas out into the world and write like I do that now. But, you know, maybe someday in this universe, I will, you know, write a book as well. But yeah, and I guess, uh, yeah, you know, you're maybe getting the, the primer or sort of, you know, you're being amidst the world and examining humans and helping them with problems. And so I'll be fodder for your uh, future book. But um, yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, since you kind of just were, you know, pulled out here for an opportunity, as many of us are, um, to where we live, uh, you know, for any given amount of time, um, I guess what maybe like pulled you to the Boston area, you know, it's, it's got a lot to it um, that I'm sure you do enjoy, but like what, what pulled you or what do you enjoy most about now being here since maybe, I don't know if you had like a whole lot of exposure before, before you came here? Yeah, sure. Um, so I knew I really wanted to be in a city. I did not love being in East Lansing, Michigan for two years for grad school. Great place to go to grad school. If there were no distractions. Um, but um, I, I had a uh, internship in grad school in New York, in the New York City area uh, for a summer and I loved it. And I was like, I need to be in a city, preferably New York. Um, but I, I looked um, mostly in the Chicago area because that's where I'm from. New York. And then I decided to add Boston on because it seemed like a cool place. Uh, I had never been, but it sounded cool. And there are a million higher ed institutions here. So I thought the odds would be good. And then the job ended up working out in Boston. So I came out here and I love it. I, when I moved here, I thought I'll be here for a little bit, but my ultimate goal is to go to New York and I still love New York. I love being only a couple hours away so I can go down there for Broadway shows and to visit close friends from college, um, and get my New York fix. But um, Boston is great. It's a really small city, but it still feels like a, it has all the big city things to me. It's really walkable, which I love. I love not having to have a car. I can walk or take public transportation everywhere. Um, it's a really beautiful city. On the, I live right on the river between Boston and Cambridge. Um, I can see Fenway Park from my apartment, which is lovely. It's the Res Life perks. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I, I love it. I feel like it has all the stuff that I love to do. And I, I have a dog now and I, um, you know, I host regular board game nights. I feel like I'm doing a good job at being an adult and like really trying to settle in. My goal when I moved here was to really commit to as though I was going to be here. I felt like I'd always been really transient before, like, oh, I'm only here for a couple years for college or for grad school. And I really wanted to commit to getting involved in the area and having a community here. And so after three years, I feel like I've done that, which feels really good. Mm. Yeah, that's been kind of my issue. Yeah, just being uh, sort of transient and thinking like now at this phase of my life, like I don't know what's next and that can be okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I've kind of stressed about that a little bit, but yeah, just trying to, uh, yeah, just take advantage of uh, where you are for however long you're there and um, yeah, just almost allow yourself, yeah, to kind of like put in roots because even then, I mean, if you have kind of to uproot yourself and go somewhere else for one reason or another, you can still certainly do that, but making sure that you're, yeah, like allowing yourself to enjoy where you are. Um, and almost, yeah, like you were saying, like giving yourself like, well, you know, I'm going to be a god student, so it's not even worth trying, you know. Um, mm. So very cool. Um, well, I guess then circle back, you know, you had, I had a very similar path, you know, being an RA and kind of finding a potential career through higher ed and kind of going down that path. But, you know, maybe it was through your RA experience or anything else that you were involved in. Like, you know, that's obviously what <laughs> the, the thing that we're doing for others uh uh, is, you know, trying to give that kind of formative experience in uh, undergrad. Uh, so what was that formative experience like for you? I'm always curious to hear what, what that was like for, 
you know, people who do that for others. So, um, what comes to mind, I guess, that still kind of resonates for you today from, from college. Yeah, sure. So I went to Washington university in St. Louis, um, better known as WashU. I loved it there. I had a great experience there. Um, one of the things that really was really important part of my experience was the res, res life system. So they have a residential college system there, um, where every freshman dorm is paired with a, an upperclassman dorm. Um, and together you form a college and it's like branded as though it's like Harry Potter. Um, it's not quite like that, <laughs> but, um, uh, I loved that experience and I was very close with my freshman floor community. That's where I made a lot of my close friends from college, some of whom I'm still close with today. Um, and my freshman floor had its own like nickname and identity. And I just really fell in with a um, with a great group of people uh, that shared a lot of interest with me and it helped me feel like I immediately had a community at college which felt great and so I think that that experience then made me realize how much how important community is to me I ended up going back and being the RA for that floor for two years um, which was awesome uh, and I i really love being part of communities and also helping to shape those communities and I think just having that really critical positive experience as a freshman um, made me really see that I you know growing up I had never been part of a sports team or like I was never in band or orchestra like I always felt like I was missing out on those types of things I did school newspaper but it that was never like the team spirit that I wanted I always wanted like the cool community that I saw you know in media and so I felt like I had that as a freshman and that just was such a confidence boost for me and um, just really made me fall in love with that. And that's still why, you know, I often will joke with people that the reason I went into student affairs is because I'm always trying to recapture the magic of being a freshman in college, uh, except now they're paying me to do it. Uh, and so that's really what I love. And MIT has an even more robust, um, res life system where each, we say dorm here, each dorm has its own, uh, unique identity and students actually rush the different dorms as though they're rushing a, like a fraternity or sorority. Mm. So they really find their specific fit. It's a really unique system. And I love being part of that because being part of that community, um, is really exciting to me. And then later when I became an RA, I think too, that just helped me grow a lot as a person in terms of, you know, I'm, I'm someone that doesn't love conflict, but being an RA forced me to be in positions where I had to be assertive and I, you know, had to learn how I could both hold people accountable, but also still maintain a relationship with them and, and what that looked like. And I still use those skills every day. And also being an English major, I think, you know, people always give English majors a bad rep, but um, I think that helped me gain so many analytical skills that even, you know, I may not be writing or analyzing literature on a daily basis, but I think I apply those skills in every conversation that I have and just in the way that I look at the world. So, um, yeah, those are probably my, my main takeaways from college. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're big ones, they're impactful ones. And, uh, yeah, again, it's like you, you often, yeah, you, you find people in higher ed that have those kind of really, um, kind of high impact, like deeply meaningful, uh, experiences and they want to, you know, do their best to nurture that for others. And, um, yeah, I feel bad. like you, like it is like, it's a punchline major. And I don't know why that now everybody just defaults to just like, well, there's like English major over here. And it's just like, there's other majors that aren't like, you know, if you like look at it, it's like, it, it's the liberal arts thing. It's like, it gives you so many sort of intangible skills that are so mm -hmm. valuable. And that's what people are looking for anymore. Like there's all these surveys that are saying like, oh, businesses, like, 
you know, the C-suite doesn't think that, you know, college graduates are like prepared for the workforce. And I'm like, I know what the answer to that question is that you're going to ask. It's that people need more like English majors working mm-hmm. in like businesses. So like, just relax because you've now made it into this like punchline major just because like, I don't know, that's just what was in the zeitgeist. But um, yeah, if it's just like, if you're going to like keep saying it, it's like at least say different majors because that's your like ignorance or whatever. It's just like, we're all just saying English majors, but it's not, whatever. Um, <laughs> I've, there's something in there where I'm just like frustrated for many different reasons. One for the lack of originality, two for just being completely wrong. But um, so I guess, yeah, it, it's really nice hearing how, you know, you really value, it sounds like the in-person communities that you're a part of and, um, you know, certainly there's always capacity for other like, you know, digital communities that you can be a part of, but just like Mm -hmm. you've really, you know, uh, fostered those in-person communities for yourself and others. And just, I think, yeah, especially now when it is, you know, almost too easy to make digital communities, it's like making sure you're making time for who you want to make time for in your life and giving that quality time and, you know, doing game nights and those sort of things, just like, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, some sort of activity. So, um, yeah, that's really nice. So, I guess you mentioned some unique things about um, MIT. So I guess, yeah, generally, I guess I know, you know, you're speaking a lot to what you really enjoy about residence life, but I guess what kind of, um, you know, captures your attention or kind of nurtures a little bit more of your enthusiasm for like the unique things that make MIT what it is, because it does sound like it's a very unique and large like residence life system. It's super unique. I think even... So the res life system is super wonky, but everything here is really wonky, and I love that. I've never... I never felt like a really traditional student affairs person. And I feel like I've found my home at MIT. I'm not sure I found my home in res life. I've enjoyed doing it. I'm starting to feel like <laughs> there might be an expiration date on the, the living in the dorm thing for me and being on call. Um, but I, but I love MIT because I think that the way we do things here is so unique to the student population here and the needs of MIT. MIT developed student affairs really late, similar to a lot of IVs and near IV schools they used to just have faculty running everything. In fact, my position in the dorm didn't exist until about like six, seven years ago. Um, I there, so I work with a faculty head of house, formerly a house master. They changed that uh, a couple years ago. Um, and a team of graduate students, not RAs, but a, a graduate student position um, to manage everything that happens in the dorm. Um, and it used to be that it was just the faculty and grad students doing everything on their own. And then a couple years ago, they were like, maybe someone with like a background in this and also the capacity to do this full time should probably be here. Um, so as a result of developing it so late, I think that everything that we do here has been uniquely adapted to fit the MIT environment. Faculty have such a strong say here and so do students. MIT is very focused on student empowerment and students here expect and will demand to have a voice in every single process. They know administrators on a first name basis. Um, They care very deeply about their res life system, but also all the different things that are happening here. And there's just this kind of pervading attitude uh, from the students and the faculty that they, you know, they're MIT people, they can fix anything and they probably know better than the next person. And I don't say that like they're cocky in any way. They're not. There's like the greatest students um, and, and people that I work with, but it's more like this just drive to to optimize the world around them. Um, they're always thinking with this mindset of like, how can I fix these systems or what what can I bring that will help make this system better? Um, and so because of that, they have really high 
expectations of, of what they're going to get out of their experience here. Um, and because they care so deeply, that really excites me as a professional. You know, I worked at places where, where students just kind of like lived passively in the dorm and didn't know who I was unless they got in trouble or were one of the few students that was really involved. Um, and I love being here because students know who I am and they want to interact with me and they hold me to a higher standard of doing my job because I, they would never just accept if I said, oh, no, you can't do X, Y, Z thing because that's the policy. They would push me to explain, you know, why is that the policy? Why is it that way? Um, do you have data to back up why you're telling us that we can't do this? Like, And so that really challenges me to be, I think, a better person and professional, which makes me excited to go to work every day. And we just do really funny things here. So um, my, uh, my hall's tradition every year is the piano drop. We drop a broken piano off the roof of the building every year on drop date, the last day to drop a class. And this has been going on since the 1970s, and it's just a fun tradition. Um, uh, and that's not even the wackiest tradition that happens at MIT. They call these pranks hacks that they do. So some of them are pretty famous and have gotten national attention, like students putting a police car on top of the um, big dome building on campus um, a long time ago, uh, stuff like that. But they also do these like weird traditions every year that are just fun and unique. And, you know, everyone here's a nerd in some way, which I love. Um, so yeah, it's a really cool place. We, we don't do things here just because they're like a best practice practice in student affairs or everyone else is doing them. That would mean you, if I said to my faculty, like, Oh, we're going to institute, you know, some kind of living learning program because this research says like this, they, I, that wouldn't mean as much to them as me saying like, Oh, I, Baker House specifically could benefit from this program and here's why and here's what we're going to do to make it uniquely Baker and like here are the students I'm going to involve to make sure they have a voice in the process. Everything is really thought out so that it um, the students and the faculty will get behind it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, yeah, maybe a benefit that maybe some people there aren't aware of, like you're saying, that just like really engaged community, you know, both students and faculty that they're really going to connect in and, you know, just want to make things better and continuous improvement. And just, you know, if there's a problem, there's a potential way to, to solve it. And it's not just like, oh, that's just how it is. And we just kind of have to adapt, you know, generally some things might be easier or quicker, you know, uh, mm -hmm. all that, but, um, Man, that's it's uh, really interesting, but I'm sure you know it's a it's a good segue. You know, I'm sure it's a uh, yeah, just a great community to be a part of for somebody who's you know, like you said, it's everybody's nerdy about something, and just uh, I'm sure you're very uh, comfortable celebrating your own geeky nerdiness, and, <laughs> you know, whatever word you might uh, choose there. But um, yes, I mean, what do you what are you geeking out about currently? If it's like newer stuff that you've just discovered or stuff you've always been into, um, I mean, because we'll get into stuff to like recommend. Um, specifically later and kind of what some of that stuff like means to you. But if you just want to like, you know, uh, rattle off some of the things that are like capturing your attention right now and then, uh, yeah, we'll dig in with some of them. Sure. Um, so actually a recent thing I've been really into is board games. I've always enjoyed board games as a person, but, um, since, uh, PAX this year, so PAX is, um, Penny Arcade Expo. It's this really big convention, um, that's for any type of gaming. So video games and board games. I've gone for the last two years now and it's the one in Boston, um, is in April. And I went to that with my partner and a bunch of friends. And we, last year I went, we mostly did video game stuff. Um, but this year we did a lot of board game stuff and it was awesome. And so lately I've just been 
deep diving into board game uh, fandom. Um, so the biggest one that we've been playing that I would recommend to everybody um, is Pandemic Legacy. So they have taken the board game Pandemic, which is like this really strategic um, collaborative game. So you're not playing against your friends. You're all playing together to kind of try and beat the game. And the game has all these lose conditions. Um, so it's working against you. They've taken that game and they made it into this model where it really plays out like you're playing a story. So you have to play with the same group of people and you play this game multiple times. And every time that you play, the story evolves and you actually physically um, mess with your board. So you might have to put stickers on it or rip up cards or different things like that or open certain envelopes that give you new game pieces to play with. And the game follows the story. So every character that you play with, you have to name them and they have a backstory. Um, and as different uh, diseases outbreak or can't be cured or things happen, the game will introduce new elements. Um, and so that's been super fun and just really showed me the, like the world of board games was so much more than just, you know, stuff that you like monopoly. Um, uh, so that's a big thing that I've been into lately. Um, uh, I, I've always loved video games, particularly the Legend of Zelda series. So since, um, the Nintendo switch came out last year and the new Zelda game, which isn't new anymore um breath of the wild um that was a big resurgence in uh gaming and zelda fandom for me um i still haven't even beaten it though i've played over 150 hours <laughs> of mm. this game um because i just don't want it to end uh, but i grew up with those my dad was a big um, video gamer and so i grew up watching him play and then went on to play myself so lots of games um and I, I mean, other than that, always been a big Harry Potter fan because I just went to the theme park that's, um, you know, ignited my enthusiasm for Harry Potter all over again. I got one of the interactive wands. So I got to do you get if you have one of these interactive wands, there are different parts of the park where you can go. Um, and the wand has like a sensor at the end of it. And if you wave it in certain ways, it will make things happen in the window of a shop or whatever that make it look like you're doing magic. So I would stand in line behind like all these 10 year olds waiting for my turn to do <laughs> magic with the wand. It upsets me so deeply that this theme park did not exist when I was a child because I feel like I was robbed of the opportunity to do like, I'm like, I know I'm an adult now, but I way bigger. I'm way more of a fan than these kids. Like I grew up with these books. Um, uh, so those things, and then the TV show Supernatural has always been um, a uh, guilty pleasure uh, kind of comfort thing of mine. I haven't caught up on the newest season because the show is pretty horrible, but I used to be quite deep in the in the Tumblr fandom, and I could talk about that show for a while. So those are probably my main uh, nerdy things at the moment. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I'm very impressed that Supernatural is... It's just still going and I, I, I you know I'm tempted to say going strong but yeah it might be a, a little bit of a misnomer but um because yeah it's just I guess it's like the CW is like one long running show that's kind of just like a tentpole for them yeah um, and I, it, you know. I mean every season they roll out like three to four amazing episodes and you're like oh my god this episode was so good and like the actors and the characters are still great but the rest of it is just awful yeah, it's it's really a shame because I think that show has such capacity to be more than it is. That's why it's captured such a large fan base. Um, but it just will never quite realize that capacity, which is which is a bummer. Yeah, well, because I think any show, like when it goes on for too long, 
more often than not, it seems like they try to play it safe than be risky mm-hmm. because again, it tries to just be, I think like a tent pole reliable, like the ratings are probably always going to be what it is. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, cause it's, I, I can always like see through like into like the industry and understand why, you know, they do things the way they do them. But, um, yeah, it's like creatively, uh, leaves a lot to be desired. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, cause yeah, I watched like the first five seasons cause that was kind of like an arc Mm-hmm. Then, that's uh, when it was supposed to end and then it did not end yeah, yeah. um <laughs> which is too bad but I, I you know i feel like most tv shows every time i recommend a show to someone i'm always saying you know watch until season four but then it gets bad or don't start until season two and then only watch until this hap- like i i feel like there are very few shows where i would say the entire thing is great watch all of it i feel like every show especially you know american television that's that's on a cable channel goes on for way too long and they just have too many episodes they need to fill up mm-hmm. uh, yeah yeah i mean 22 episodes is a lot for any show so because mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, i just caught up on uh brooklyn 99 and i was like surprised mm-hmm. i thought like oh one of these seasons is probably gonna be shorter and say like maybe you're like we don't have enough to fill and it's like don't they every season like full order yeah um because then, like, The Office, I remember sometimes talking oh, about that. I'm just like, yeah. yeah, there's, like, a season of, like, skippable television in there, um, which is awful. Um, yeah, so I guess that's that's the whole thing. Because, yeah, I just um, finally finished uh, Jessica Jones Season 2. Oh, uh, I still haven't even watched that. I kept wanting to rewatch the first one first, and then I kept not being in the right mood for it. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I need, I need to watch it. Was it good? Uh, well, that was the thing, is that somebody else was saying what I believe my criticism will be is that, like, even which is like the funny kind of counterpoint is like even with the like quote-unquote premium cable model of like 13 episodes the pacing is always like it's just not good where there's like again like good moments the netflix marvel do suffer from that a lot yeah yeah Um, where i'm always like give me like a mini series season like six episodes like super tight like because a lot of them they don't take place over like a long period of time Mm -hmm. like within the universe of the show um so if it's almost just like a tight, you know, each episode is like a strong hour. Um, I don't know. So, yeah, it, it's tough. Yeah, they struggle with the pacings. And I like Luke Cage. Like, yeah. Iron, I, I didn't even finish Iron Fist season oh, one. Oh, no. Yeah, like Luke, yeah, like Luke Cage season two is like another one where it's like the story arc is good, but the pacing is, you know, because that, that was the thing for me. I like fell off watching Jessica Jones season two because it was just losing my attention. And mm. then I was like, you know what? I'm going to download the episodes on my Netflix app on my iPad, watch them while I'm on the train when like kind of just like, you know, captive audience and just get through it because in my brain, sometimes I'm just like, you know, it's like a thread that's not been tied up. I'm just like, you know, lingering on it, but whole other thing. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're going to whole tangent talking about TV. Um, so I guess maybe like, like Harry Potter, because I think you've talked about like board games being like a social outlet and just something to you know get people together with. You know, Harry Potter being one of the things that you've been to been into for a while. Um, like, how has that positively contributed to your life? Because I know that's it means a lot to a lot of people, and I'm curious what it means uh, to you. As I think probably one of your you know your core geekdoms. Sure, I think, I think Harry Potter, but also just generally being a big fan of things. I think the biggest thing for me is that it's. I think that it's made me realize like how valuable it is to be passionate about something. I think my, you know, 
I've, I've always been the type of fan when I get really, in, when I get into something, I get really into it. And I'm the fan that thinks I know better than the writers. Like I will spend forever um, talking to people about, you know, why this decision on Supernatural was bad or growing up. Um, my biggest fandom ever um, was the Pirates of the Caribbean uh, movies. Um, and I, you know, I wrote like um, online, yeah, I wrote fan fiction for that. I, uh, was very I wrote fan fiction for a lot of things. So I, I was very, very into um Pirates of the Caribbean and Johnny Depp's Fall from Grace has been horrible. But um uh uh anyway But also that like is, uh, then yeah. also he's now cross pollinating into Harry Potter and like he's, he's gonna oh, God, infect yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, watching Warner Brothers be shocked by the by the pissed off fan reaction to Johnny Depp was pretty funny. I was like, do you guys not know? We're not, we're not about Johnny Depp anymore. The fans don't want him. We wanted him like 10 years ago before we knew all this bad stuff about him. Um, so that pirates and Harry Potter were my, my biggest things growing up. Um, and the fact that I wrote fan fiction is actually what inspired me to apply to a creative writing summer camp in high school and participate in that and really fostered my you know, interest in writing even more, um, being, you know, a fan of, of these things has helped bring about some of the closest relationships that I have. Um, and I just, you know, I'm someone that really feels like it's important to be passionate about things in life. And for me, that might be nerdy things for other people that might be other interests, but, um, you know, one of the reasons that I enjoy my job is I like working with students and helping them see what they're passionate about and helping them really, you know follow follow that passion and so um I think being being a big nerd and being involved in communities that really like encourage that that level of of detail and investment in characters and things like that uh has helped me see how important that is and it's not something to be ashamed about but rather something to really embrace um and I especially Harry Potter to me is also like a comfort blanket I feel like sometimes you know, the characters from, from that and from these other things I'm into have been there for me so consistently. And I know exactly how they're going to act. And I'm a big proponent of audiobooks. The Harry Potter audiobooks by Jim Dale are super important to me. And I actually haven't read a physical copy of Harry Potter in years, though almost every year I'll re-listen to all of the audiobooks. Um, and just turning those on, like, brings me such a sense of, of comfort. Like I'm, you know, like I'm going home to, to Hogwarts. Um, and that's why it was so cool for me to go to the theme park just now is it really felt like, like a, like a homecoming. So, um, you know, I think those things are just so important to people. Um, and people who aren't into stuff like that may not understand how important it is, but, um, I think, you know, yeah, the, the, those characters and, and things like that are, can be super meaningful, parts of people's life and then they can foster quote unquote like real life relationships um either digitally or in person because of their interest in in a nerdy thing oh, yeah i mean full endorsement for me I totally agree. <laughs> um and yeah and i guess uh, I, to circle back yeah in the harry potter world because uh, we uh, went for our company meeting a couple of years ago another endorsement there it is amazing so if you're a fan please try to go um but yeah, I guess, yeah, I'm curious because I know a lot of people have, um, uh, uh, that I just know of generally, um, uh, the Harry Potter audiobooks, like they're, that they're really well done and stuff. And I guess I'm curious, do they have like, like sound effects and like music to that? Like, are they almost like a very like immersive, you know, like podcast almost, or is it just literally like reading, reading the kind of transcript of the book? So, so I've only listened to the Jim Dale ones. I know a lot of people will swear by, it. I think it's Stephen Fry that does the 
the UK released version of them. And maybe there are some other versions that are more theatrical because I know some audiobooks do that. This one is just Jim Dale. He's the narrator from Pushing Daisies, for if you've watched that. Um, uh, and he does over like 150 voices through, across the book. So he changes his voice completely. And it is so great and realistic. And he actually won two Grammys for the audiobooks. So while there's no sound effects or things like that, he's such a great reader um, that it feels immersive. And to me, it feels almost even more immersive than just reading the book because I like I can close my eyes and I feel like Hogwarts is like building around me. Like um, uh, I, I, I just find it really great. There was a period of time in high school where I was super stressed about like applying to college and everything like that. And I would listen to the audiobooks to help me fall asleep. Um, and I would like lie in bed and I felt like enveloped in this comfort of Harry Potter. Um, so, you know, I, I, I still feel like it's a fully immersive experience. I've actually listened to audiobooks for different books that try and do that sound effect thing or have like a full voice cast. And I find that more disruptive. I like that. It's just this one guy doing an amazing job at doing everybody's voice, um, yeah. which is pretty cool. Very impressive. Um, we, I guess it is cool, like, and almost the, the idea, like, subconsciously, if it's almost like it's somebody sitting by your bed reading the story to you kind of thing versus, like, mm-hmm. you know, listening to, like, a radio play because I feel like that's for me sometimes. Like, I realize if I'm, like, putting a podcast on and doing other stuff, I'm like, I don't even – I didn't even listen – like, I didn't even hear what they said and I need to, like, put down what I'm doing and then, like, rewind the episode mm-hmm. or something. So it's like – yeah, I mean, I guess if you've never read the story before, you're probably going to still need to like really pay attention if it's, you know, but I guess just for, for you right now, how you mentioned it, like it's such a comfort and everything because it probably does feel like that idea of like being read a story at your bedside kind of thing, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it like fits in that sort of uh, kind of peg, but um, interesting, cool. Well, I think, well, yeah, we'll definitely uh, uh, link out to those so folks can check them out. But I guess anything else that you are reading, watching, and or listening to uh, that you'd like to mention, um, we'll try to find everything that we've mentioned so far, but anything else that you'd like to uh, just kind of give that tip of the hat to? Sure. Um, so another thing that I'm really into reading-wise is graphic novels. I've always been into them since I read Watchmen um, when I was in high school, but over the last year I've gotten even more into them, and I read a lot of image comics. So I'd recommend those to anybody, especially the saga series, which is a pretty famous, um, series of graphic novels. It's like a sci-fi fantasy, um, type of thing. That's really great. Um, that same author, Brian K. Vaughn has also written paper girls, which is really good. Also very sci-fi and a couple other things like, um, Marvel runaways, which was just a Hulu series that I just watched. I thought it was okay. Um, but he's a great author. And if you like uh, kind of sci-fi and mystery twist type of things, or even saga is just really about um, relationships and like world building. Um, those are great. Uh, the Descender series um, with Image Comics is also really great. I recommend Image because I find the Marvel DC stuff to be really intimidating. And I'm someone that's like a, if I'm going to be into something, I want to be fully into it. And so I know as soon as I read like one of the major, you know, people from the Marvel universe, I'll want to read every single comic and it'll overwhelm me to know which order I'm supposed to be reading them in and which ones are the good ones and not. So image is all like kind of its own, uh, thing of each graphic novel series is its own universe, which I find a lot more manageable. So I definitely recommend those. Um, I think graphic novels are great. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts, especially, uh, the positive America podcast line of 
podcasts. Um, uh, um, <laughs> Crooked Media, they have a line of like 10 different podcasts now. So these are really politically oriented um, given the, the current landscape. So uh, it's a couple of former Obama White House staffers who have made their own podcast network and they are equal parts hilarious and informative. Um, so I really love them and I actually just went to one of their live shows, which was really cool. Uh, so I recommend those as well. Um, yeah, those are probably my biggest recommendations. Saw the newest Jurassic Park. Didn't love it. I don't know if I can endorse that. <laughs> um, but I go see all of those, uh, you know, every big blockbuster thing. I'll probably go see Ant-Man and I probably won't like that either. Um, I still think they're fun. So, yeah. Well, I guess that, yeah, that's almost like a different review is like, it's like, it, it, it was fun, but it, like, it wasn't good. <laughs> like, it wasn't well done um, on like a, you know, from a critical analysis right. standpoint. Yeah. Like, it's like, yeah, it was a popcorn movie, but you know, there's the whole spectacle or whatever. But, you know, because uh, I think Marvel has tried to strike a pretty good balance of like, trying to be like, even just like moderately or minimally substantive versus like, I think Jurassic World, what I've heard, I haven't seen it yet. Like, it is kind of dumb, but it's like, it's, I think it's leading and building towards something that might be interesting, but it's also yeah. like, which I think it doesn't do it maybe with the same flourish that, um, the last Jedi did. Like, I feel like it fits in the same mold where it's this like weird meta movie. That's like literally blowing up the past to like, try and figure out how this franchise moves forward. Mm-hmm. You know, like, or they're just like, okay, the Island's getting blown up, I guess, because of, you know, volcanoes. And now it's like, they can never go back to that Island. Like that's mm-hmm. over. They can't keep doing that. as like the movie. Um, so, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. Cause I, my, my understanding is they already have another movie planned. So we'll see what happens with, uh, that other one. But, um, yeah, I guess, you know, yeah, this year's been, uh, I'm trying to think of the other, like, big movies that I've seen. Um, it's been it's been pretty good. I guess, uh, yeah, like, Deadpool 2, I did not like as much as the first one. Solo was pretty good. Incredibles was all right. And, um, I mean, Infinity War was uh, obviously just, like, big payoff, so that was good. Um, I did not love Infinity War. I had really mixed opinions <laughs> on that one. But yeah. I'm very critical. I'm So I, I should say, I'm, like, the most critical movie watcher i i i I not something i really enjoy is like having critical conversation like i did not think jurassic world was good at all but i really enjoy enjoyed like coming home and reading all the reviews about it and then like describing the plot sarcastically but also in detail to to friends who didn't mind being spoiled so i could like pick apart everything that i felt like was funny about this movie or bad um so that's something i quite enjoy i'm definitely a big like watcher of of bad movies but the Marvel movies, I feel like I always walk away feeling a little disappointed. And I felt like Infinity War always had way too much to do. And so I knew, like, I knew that I was never going to love it. Um, but I guess I can't make a full critical assessment until they uh, they come up with the second one. So Right. That's going to be, yeah. yeah, like a huge thing, which I think that's the idea. Like, on one hand, it was like, okay, all these movies, when they you know, they might always be a little bit of like a caveat to them. It's like, well, they're building towards something even better. You know, it's going to be this amazing event. Um, and yeah, I think they've, they've done okay with that kind of universe building and building towards it. But yeah, it's just, it's a tough game. Yeah. Cause I think it's, um, there's nothing else like it that has existed in, you know, movies and, you know, they're, they're almost setting the tone. So it's almost like, we don't have anything to compare it to, to be like, Oh, well that's how you could do it even better. Um, Right. Yeah. Certainly DC is not a shining example. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, Yeah. I I think, I think Marvel's just hard because it's so up and down. Like you get things like black Panther and the first guardians of the galaxy that are just so 
stellar and like great movies in in my opinion and then they also come out with stuff that's pretty awful and they're I think that was the bit like Black Panther was so great on so many levels and one thing I always look for in the Marvel movies is representation of women and like I loved that in Black Panther a lot of the women characters were also like front and center and doing really awesome stuff and then I felt like it was a complete regression in Infinity War uh you know the women had almost nothing to do none of the Black Panther characters had anything to do like stuff Mm -hmm. like that where I just um I find you know, it makes sense because they're written by a bunch of and directed by different people and they're, you know, they're all trying to accomplish their own thing. But I think that's one of the challenges they're always up against is it sometimes can feel inconsistent or like a character you felt like you knew really well makes some kind of weird decision to better serve the plot in these movies where they put everyone together. And then you're like, ah, why, why would you make that choice? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah, another, another tangent. Well, uh, well, I guess we'll, uh, yeah, we'll wrap up here so that we don't uh, you know, spend another like two hours uh, analyzing Marvel movies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll end here as we always do on an optimistic, positive note. So um, you know, as the world can be draining and exhausting and frustrating, um, uh, what is something or things that you are looking forward to in your job, life, and or the world? Hmm. Um, so I'm going home in a, to the Chicago area in a couple of weeks. And every summer, my family normally makes a trip for a couple of days out to Lake Michigan on the Indiana, Michigan side of the lake. Um, and that's uh, my favorite. So I'm quite looking forward to that because it's just a such a relaxing time to unplug. I always catch up on all of my reading that I've been meaning to do um, and just stuff, you know, so I'm looking forward to like reading on the beach for a couple of days. Um, it's probably the thing I'm most looking forward to. And I get to bring my dog and we'll have my family dogs there. So it'll just be like a great, a great time with everybody there. Um, yeah. In terms of more life things, I'm going to Boston comic con in August. Um, and they've been announcing cooler and cooler people that will be there, um, as we get closer. So I'm really looking forward to that. My dream is to eventually go to San Diego comic con, but I've been slow, you know, with the Boston ones so far, which has been a little bit more manageable money wise. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think, uh, world wise, I'm hoping that we'll maybe get some good news at some point eventually. Um, uh, <laughs> any, just any, uh, good any, news, any good news would be good. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Um, just like, yeah, looking forward to like, I mean, just statistically, just the numbers game. We have to have some good news happen. Right. You know? <laughs> Gotta be something. Right. Yeah. Um, so, my, we'll my, I feel like I have good money on because of Canada, you know, just legalized recreational marijuana. Mm-hmm. And that's been sort of just swirling around here. And, you know. I don't know. I feel like that that could be the thing. I don't know. More states keep legalizing medical marijuana, like something there. That's and I don't I I don't know what a time frame for that would be, but I feel like I don't know. Maybe like the next year or two, that could be like a pretty major thing. Um, obviously, the caveat being that we need to reconcile the people who like nonviolent drug offenders who right. you know uh, are in prison for this, but. Um, Unfortunately, again, my, the cynical side that has been nurturing all of us now, I'm not confident that perhaps that would be part of the deal if it were to happen. So I guess that's, uh, yeah, that is the just making it more like, you know, just level headed, you know, kind of yin and yang and balanced. Um, maybe it happens, but it doesn't happen um, as it should. Um, so we'll see. So, um, 
Okay, we will, because again, I feel like I'm tempted to keep getting on my soapbox. So uh, <laughs> we will end it there. I really appreciate your time, Jordan. Um, it's a really fun episode. Appreciate all that you shared and uh, we'll have ways to connect with you and all that you mentioned uh, in the show notes. So um, yeah, just uh, thanks again and have a good rest of your night. Great. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. This podcast is a proud member of the Connect EDU Podcast Network bringing together diverse voices and thoughtful discussions to the higher ed community. Check us out online at connectedu.network or on Twitter at connectedupod. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.